Usually it hits you uh, tomorrow or the next day. You just start feeling like a sack of taters is on your shoulders. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of our freedom. Father, that we can come here and we don't have to worry about someone busting in the back door. Thank you, Lord, for the country that you provided for us to live in, even though it's uh, a mess. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you come back soon and get us out of this old wicked world. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we now look into your word, for your word has the answers. And Father, I pray you'd help us to learn. And Lord, I pray to, as the scriptures say, you open our eyes and we behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you again for Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're at. I believe uh, verse 2 is where we left off. <clears throat> going through the qualifications of a pastor. And the reason why we're going through that is because we're going through the book of 1 Timothy. And so uh, it might seem a little bit disjointed or different, but hey, that's all right. I, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not the poster child for the ideal pastor. Uh, but uh, at, at any rate, we left off on verse 2. The Bible says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and that's where we left off right there. <clears throat> so a pastor um, is supposed to be hospitable. He's supposed to be given to hospitality. And uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's where we left off, and... Uh, pastor is supposed to be able to help the flock. He's supposed to be able to help the sheep that he feeds. Supposed to be able to help the sheep that he ministers to. You know, people are a peculiar bunch. Uh, uh, some people want help, and you know it. And, uh, and then some people, they live way on the outside of like, I'm here, but don't look at me, don't talk to me. Uh, they live very closed lives. And there might be a number of reasons for that, but nonetheless, a pastor should be hospitable. He's there to help them. Um, <clears throat> we left off, I think it was, uh, was it Wednesday on the illustration. You take that word hospitable and you get the word hospital from it, don't you? And that's what the church is. And I think uh, along the line somewhere, uh, churches have been started and they get growing and maybe the Lord blesses them or maybe man blesses the building himself, Right? And all of a sudden, it goes from being a hospital, a place where hurt people can come and get help, and it turns into a museum, <laughs> right? And it's almost like you have to have tickets to get in. Well, you don't have to have any tickets to get in here. Um, and here's the thing. I, a lot of people dress up for church, and, and I do because I'm the pastor, and if you did, praise the Lord, I was raised that you would give your best that you had when you went to church, now, some people weren't raised that way, and that's okay. I believe the longer you live for the Lord, the Lord will show you that without some preacher kind of beating you over the head with some kind of dress standard, amen? But I've noticed over the years when uh, people start, people get saved, and uh, they just listen to the preaching, all of a sudden they start to see a change in their apparel. But anyways, a pastor should be there to help the people, and uh, that's where we get the word <clears throat> hospital from. And you ever stop and think what uh, happens in a hospital? I'm, you're, you're thinking, yeah, I get bills once. I, no, I'm not talking about that. We don't send you a bill here, amen? <clears throat> but uh, at a hospital, uh, you get cared for. You get fed, right? Regardless of what you think of hospital food, it is improving over the years. And the only reason I know is because I had to 
uh, be in the hospital for a day. And uh, so it was actually pretty decent food there. But then they wash you up. <laughs> Whether you want to be washed up or not, they're going to wash you up. <laughs> uh, how about this? They'll come and visit you regularly in the hospital, won't they? You say, yeah, but they take blood. Well, they're trying to help you. you know? You're like a human pincushion for a little bit there. And they come in, and you know what I know about a hospital? Uh, doctors will come visit you too. And they'll say, hey, this is, uh, this is what your problem is. It's always <laughs> nice to know you got a problem. And then they'll say, you know what? Here's the remedy. This is what I think we should do. And that's a hospital. And I think you get the gist of it. So, uh, and uh, as a rule of thumb, everyone, every Christian ought to work on being hospitable. Amen. Um, a Christian who is a tightwad or a Christian who is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of like just an old, what's that? Thank you. I, yeah, my adjectives aren't working this morning. They're synonyms. A miser, <clears throat> you know. But uh, I, think of, uh, I think of older Christians sometimes, and uh, Christians ought to be like a, sorry about the analogy here, they ought to be like a fine wine. They get sweeter with time. Amen. The Bible says you're preserved. And last time I checked, preserves were sweet. Amen. Wow, that went over real good. <laughs> but the Bible says in the 1 Timothy 3, 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. That's always a difficult one, right? <clears throat> Given to hospitality. And then the last one here in verse 2, we'll spend a good deal of time on this, apt to teach, apt to teach. That pastor is to be apt to teach. And you know what? The Lord knows the preacher's aptitude. Um, and he needs to be apt to teach. Now, what are we supposed to teach? Are we supposed to teach creeds and confessions? No. Are we supposed to teach what the Baptist as a whole believe? No. <laughs> now, listen, if what the Baptist believe uh, lines up with the Word of God, I'm all for it. But where a lot of our Baptist brethren, they kind of lose their marbles, I go, I go the other way, and I stick with the Bible. But we're supposed to teach truth. Look at John chapter 17. I want to encourage you this morning, even though we're going through the qualifications of an ideal pastor, that if you have a King James Bible, you have the absolute source of truth in your lap. And why that should be encouraging is because every piece of information that comes across the television or your smartphone, you have no way of checking the facts on it. You said, well, I have my sources. Well, yeah, everyone else has different sources than your. You see what I mean? You have no way to tell the truth whether or not Wall Street's lying to you, whether the Republicans are lying to you, or whether the Democrats are lying to you, or whether your governors. You have no way to check it. You can be vetted like I've got 35 articles, and you still have no way of knowing if it's true or not. You're taking the word of someone else, but John 17, 17 it levels the playing field for the Christian. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Now look at it. Thy word is truth. And we've said this before, but the great part about the word of God is it never needs to be updated. Now you take uh, any device that you have, any piece of information, it constantly has to be updated. It constantly has to be revised. Even continuing education has to be corrected. History has to be corrected because they made a mistake. But there are no mistakes in the Word of God which He calls truth. Wow, isn't that good? 
This is the only source of truth that you and I have. And so uh, when it comes to all these other things, at best, you're just taking a venture whether or not someone's telling you the truth. You say, I went 100 miles an hour on the way to uh, church. Did you? Was it really 99? Was it 104? (laughs) Or are you just lying? (laughs) Because you're a Baptist, you know. (laughs) But this is the truth. We're supposed to teach the truth. And let me show you just a couple of things about truth. Uh, Look at Psalm chapter 100, verse 5. Psalm 100, verse 5. I want you to see why it's important for you and I to have the truth. A lot of people today, they are resting on opinions. And as the old adage goes, opinions are like socks. Everyone's got a couple, and they tend to stink, right? Psalm 100, verse 5. You know what we learn about truth? Is that 108? I'll get there in a second. What's that? It is verse 5, okay. I've got notes written down here, but they're more like chicken scratch. <clears throat> I like that, uh, that meme that come across there. It had this, this white uh, background, looks like a piece of blank paper, and it had this scribble all over it. And so the famous doctor once said, and you have no idea what he said, right? Psalm 100, verse 5. Now, 108, you want 108. 108. No, we don't. All right, thank you. Very good. Helps if I look at the right one, right? For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. Look at the truth now, and his truth endureth to all generations. That's the promise of God. He promised to give you and I the truth to every generation. There's no generation ever on the face of this earth that haven't had the truth. You saw it understand. It doesn't matter whether you or I understand it. Believe if this is the truth, and he said the tr- the, his truth endureth to all generations, every generation has had the truth. I'll give you something else about the truth. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's endureth to all generations. Every generation's got the truth. <clears throat> 119 verse 30. Here's some things that are good things about the truth uh, you, need to, you need to hang on to. Now notice truth here is a choice. Verse 30 of the Bible says, I have chosen the way of truth. All right, so you have the truth if you have a King James Bible in your lap today, but there's a choice that everyone has to make. You either choose the way of truth or you choose your own way. You see that? Truth is a choice. I'm glad the Lord's not a Calvinist. And a Calvinist says this, well, the Lord's chosen some people to go to heaven and chosen some people to go to hell. Well, that's a rotten religion. I mean, even if I liked it, which I don't, that's just dumb, right? Can you imagine all the choices being made for you? That's like that one fellow got up in the morning who was a Calvinist and he woke up and he went to go down in the cellar and get some jam and he fell down the stairs. He brushed himself off, so I'm sure glad that's over with. You know, Calvinist believes everything's predestinated. Like, there's nothing you can do that's not just, well, that's what God wanted me to do, you know. All right, but truth is a a choice. Look at verse 43, same uh, chapter. Uh, He says here in verse 43, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. The old psalmist here, he's concerned about the word of truth being taken out of his mouth. You see that? You ought to be concerned about not uh, being in a place where you can get the truth or speak the truth. 
Any place that you're at where you can't speak the truth is a bad place to be. And the psalmist says, uh, he says, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. All right, let me show you something else about the truth. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 21. Proverbs 22, 21. Now, some of you are real good in school. Some of you are straight A students. And you know why you're a good student? You say, well, you know, study it. Well, okay, every once in a while, someone's a smarty pants and it comes easy. But nothing ever came easier for me. If I, if I got an A, it's because I had to study and study and read and write and make cards and just, man, it was something else. But you know why you got a good grade a lot of times? Because you rehearsed it, didn't you? Only way you're going to know the truth is by getting in it and rehearsing it. Rehearsing it, rehearsing it, studying it, studying it. And when you hear something that doesn't make sense, you get in that book until that thing's revealed. All right, Proverbs 22, 21. Look what the Bible says. That I make, uh, go back to uh, verse 20. All right. <clears throat> Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? Isn't that a great verse? Let's talk about the book that's in your hands. That I may make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. You see that? That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. And people asking you questions all the time. And as a Christian, you're going to get asked a lot of questions, and many times you get asked those questions and you don't know the answer. You know what that means? You just got to get back in the book and read some more, study some more. Uh, there's, there's nothing more disappointing sometimes than to, to find someone, and they know you know they're not saved, they haven't trusted Jesus Christ, they're saved, and they begin to ask you questions about the Bible, and you're like, man, I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? You've got a book, and the Lord gave you that book that He might make you to know the certainty of the words of truth. That's it. We're talking about truth. We're talking about this King James Bible. Now look at uh, verse 23. Here's something else about the truth. Uh, 22, I'm sorry, 23, 23. 23, 23. Now something else about the truth. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. You know what I see here in 23, 23? You've got the truth in your lap if you've got a King James Bible, but that truth is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And that, that uh, writer of Proverbs said you need to buy it. You say, what, am I supposed to get out the checkbook and write a check? Oh, it might cost you finances, but how about this? It'll cost you friends, and it'll cost you family. You start doing what this book says, you know what? People aren't going to want to hang around you. They're going to think you've got the plague on you. Why? Because you're following the truth. That's it. He says, buy the truth and what? Sell it not. You know what a lot of Christians are? I'm not being mean or nasty. I'm just being honest with you. You've seen a lot of Christians are sellouts. Uh, I talked to a family member a while back, very, very close to me, and we began to go back to about 15 years ago, beginning back verse by verse, and all of a sudden I saw their eyes of understanding beginning to enlighten about the King James Bible, and it got to a point, and I says, okay, now you're going to that place over there, and they don't stand on the Word of God. What are you going to do about it? I was just curious. I wouldn't get put in unnecessary pressure, and that family member said, well, you know, oh, that means I'd have to, you see what I mean? See, she was buying it. And all of a sudden, guess what? Well, you know, I, that means I couldn't do this, or that means I, uh, if I didn't go there, they'd think I was, what, a Christian? <laughs> Someone who stood for something? You see what I mean? Buy the truth and say it's going to cost you. This book, if you believe this book, it's a choice. You don't have to. Amen? Exodus chapter 21. 
You can go out free. You can walk out that door today. If you're saved, listen now, if you're saved, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Amen? And you can walk out this door today. I'm not going to encourage you to do it. And never come back and never go to church another day in your life and never do anything for God. Never get into the ministry by putting anything in the box back there. And you will still go to heaven when you die because you trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior. You can go out free, Exodus 21. Read it later. But you know what that servant said? I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I will not go out free. And he puts his ear down there in the Old Testament on that block. And the master is the one that ends up inflicting the pain. You see that? Buy the truth and sell it not. All right? Let me give you something else about the truth here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now you've got the truth. Don't let anyone tell you you don't have the truth. Well, how can you know? The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Well, I don't see anything in the Bible that says you can't do this. Okay? Well, the Bible does tell you a lot of things about how you're supposed to live and how you're not supposed to destroy the temple. Well, you know, I don't think the, the Bible doesn't say anything about, okay, fine. You know, if you're looking for specifics, you won't always find specifics, but you'll find the principle. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 10. Twelve verse ten, Bible says the preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. You know, when it comes to preaching, the only acceptable words from the pulpit should be the words of truth. It shouldn't be life stories. It shouldn't be you know Eagle Man or Bird Man or preaching Walt Disney or Three Little Pigs or something like that or some kind of some kind of whatever you know. Let's talk about railroad tracks today and how they can affect your life and. And let's talk about your best life now, right? Let's talk about preacher 2.0, church member 3.5. No, the only acceptable words the preacher should speak are be, should be ones from this book. So that's why whenever you sit in front of somebody and they get up and their hair is just, you know, just perfect, like they got a $600 haircut and they got a $3,000 suit and, and all that stuff and they're shining your shoes like that, and you ain't had squat about the Bible, I'd be like, yeah, man, that's not acceptable words. That's the wisdom of man's words. You know, there's a difference between a preacher and an orator. A preacher will fire at people. That's what preaching is supposed to do. People think that preaching today should be just like this great oratorical speech where everything is flowing. Let me tell you what. When a preacher preaches, sometimes it's just awkward. I mean, it doesn't always flow. You don't always have the homiletical points, the alliterated outline. I try real hard to get alliterated, and a lot of times it just becomes obliterated. <laughs> Amen? It's, it's like Waffle House, scattered and splattered. Amen? It, just, it doesn't always just go, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Sometimes it's just a mess, but you know what it is? It's the foolishness of preaching. Old preacher told me one time, and he's a great man. He loves the Lord, and he preached a uh, pastor for a long time. I was just getting into the ministry. I said, you know, I'm just really, really struggling. I don't like my preaching. He said, join the crowd. <laughs> he says, I'm really having a hard time writing an outline. He said, join the crowd. I said, in half time, I don't even feel like I'm ready. He said, join the crowd. I said, so what do you do? He says, well, you do the best you can. You get up, and at the end of the day, if it's not all together, it's just the foolishness of preaching. Why? You didn't write the book. I'm just trying to say the only acceptable words from this pulpit should be what the preacher here in Ecclesiastes says it should be the words of truth. We're talking about truth, right? And that pastor should be apt to teach. 
And God knows his aptitude. God knows your aptitude. God knows what you're capable of. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, Christian, listen, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be able to alibi and say, well, you know, I just didn't have time to do that. And the Lord's like, <laughs> yeah, about that. That don't work here. It doesn't? No, because I know everything the Lord's saying and you. Yeah. You could fool everybody else, but you can't fool the Lord. Let me give you something else about the truth here. Look at Isaiah 59. Something you already know. You've got the truth in your lap. Truth should be the only thing coming from this pulpit. I shouldn't be giving you political stances from the pulpit. I shouldn't be giving you political views. Why? This is not what this pulpit's for. Well, you know, our country was built on our forefront. Okay, fine, great. Praise the Lord for a great country. Amen. I'm a patriot. I believe in the right to bear arms. You break in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning, you might find out. Amen. Right? But this isn't a place for politics. Well, there's a, you need to have a great understanding of how politics shape the nation, and yeah, what a fine mess it's in. What this country needs more from this pulpit is preaching about Jesus Christ and not the stinking founding fathers. Because the founding fathers, every single one of them had a sin problem, just like you. Now look at Isaiah 59, 14. Bible says here, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. Look at it. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Now that's the condition of Israel back here in about, what is it, about 698 B.C.? But you fast forward to 2023, truth has fallen in the street. There's a lot of things going on in the streets of this country today that <laughs> has nothing to do with truth. You see what I mean? Truth has fallen in the street. That's a fact. Why? Because they've thrown this book away. You say, you just think everything should be about that book. Amen, it should be. Well, if everything was about this book, yes, things would be different in this country. Look, I'm not the guy running the joint. I'm just saying truth has fallen in the street. You know how you know it? This is how you know it. You get it on the street corner, and you hold up a sign with the truth on it, and watch their response. Well, I believe church should stay in the church house. Really? Well, then I believe wickedness should stay in your home. And I'm an American. I'm entitled to that opinion, right? But no, they think that since they're Americans, they have the right to be wicked as hell everywhere they go, but yet you got to keep the church in the church. That's not what the founding father said. Oh, we're not supposed to do politics. I apologize there. See what I mean? Truth has fallen in the street. I have a right as a free citizen that I live in to believe in the truth, just like someone has a right to practice their wickedness. But the book's still true. Truth is falling in the street, and you know that because when you hit the street, like we did this summer, and when you tried to give someone a piece of the truth, most of them said what? <laughs> We're good. No, you're not. <laughs> you need this. Why? Because I don't want you to spend eternity in a place called hell. Who are you to judge me? I'm just a voice in the wilderness. But I want you to have the truth. All right, something else about the truth. John 14, 6. I know you know this. John chapter 14, verse 6. When it comes to the truth, the Bible says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. But here in John chapter 14, verse 6, you know the verse, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You say, well, which one is it? Is the word the truth or is Jesus the truth? Yes. How do you know? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So you see that? Jesus Christ is the truth. The Word of God is the truth because they're both in and of themselves the same. All right, something else about the truth you should know this morning. John 14, 17. Bible says, I'll go back to 16. And I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Not like, uh, you know, a blanket you throw on yourself. But that'll, that's a good type, right? Doesn't the Holy Spirit comfort you? Every once in a while, doesn't the, Lord, the Holy Spirit just kind of snuggle up to you and love on you? Boy, he sure does. That he may abide with you how long? How long? You see that right in your King James Bible? What a wonderful verse on eternal security. John 14, 16. That he may abide with you forever. You got some groups out there that say, well, I don't believe you. you I believe you can lose your salvation. That's not what my Bible says. Because if you could lose it, he would just abide with you until you mess the thing up. That's the glory about getting saved. The comforter of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you forever. And he never leaves. Now look at verse 17. 17 says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I want you to see here about the truth. The world can't receive the truth, or even, uh, or how about this? I'll go a step further. The world can't receive the truth, and if you're a Christian here today, and you're worldly-minded, you cannot receive the truth as you ought to. You see that? The world can't receive the truth. So you know why you face such difficulty out there when you try to witness to people, when you try to just to be a testimony for Jesus Christ? Because the world, the Bible says, cannot receive the truth. And worldly Christians are the same way. You try to, you try to have a conversation with a worldly Christian, it's very, very difficult. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about my problem. It's all about the... You can't have a spiritual conversation with a worldly Christian. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual. You guys know me. I talk about NASCAR. I talk about food. I talk about everything. I talk about trees. Amen. Talk about my family. But if you have a conversation with a worldly Christian, it will never get around spiritual things. Why? Because they can't receive it. They can't receive it. I'll give you something else. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Something else about the truth. I thought this was a good uh, departure from our text just to give you a little some ideas about the truth that most of you know, but it's good to be reminded of. Aren't you glad you got the truth? You know what I really want to be guilty of as a pastor is giving you confidence in that book that's in your lap, not confidence in me. You catch me on the wrong day, I'll, I'll be a mess for sure, amen, just like you. Like some of you tomorrow morning when that alarm clock goes off, you're a mess. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know is not coming out of your lips. <laughs> I know some of you wake up, you know, just fourth part of the Trinity and spiritual and all that, but not me, man. I, I usually wake up and go, my soul, <laughs> again? <laughs> and off to work we go. Look at uh, verse, it's talking about, go back up to verse 4. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. That charity there, that's the most mature type of love, that's love in action. And that's what every Christian should strive to have is charity. But notice what charity does, 
it does what with the truth? It rejoices in the truth. And here's where the delineation comes in the Christian life is when you are taught positive truth, it's easy to rejoice. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Amen. He died. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Amen. And you have a problem with sin. Oh, no. (laughs) There's negative truth. But regardless of truth, charity, real charity, a charitable Christian, he rejoices in that truth. When you get to hear him preaching sometimes or reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, what are you going to do about that? Or, hey, what are you going to do about that? Do you rejoice in the, that the Holy Spirit dealt with you about it? Or do you go like, <laughs> i got to go water the dog. <laughs> i got something to do. Because there are two types of truth, right? There's truth that really is good and positive, and then there's a thing called negative truth. Negative truth is this. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. That's negative. But you're going to realize, you'll learn that a negative blast always gives a positive result. If you want to improve in your Christian life, you want to draw closer to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to embrace the negative preaching, the negative teaching, the negative reading in your Bible to produce that positive result. And that's where the world's got you all tangled up and they say this, unless everything is positive, unless everything is sweet, there is something wrong with you. So if you're negative about something, there's something wrong with you. No, you need to rejoice in the truth, and that's just not positive truth. Like your envy, your jealousy, your greed, your covetousness. When the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, you need to say, thank God. You say, why am I thanking God? Because if He can show you it to, then you won't be deceived about it. And you won't sit there in the pew thinking everyone else has got the problem but you. Amen, amen. Something else about that, John chapter 18. Here's an interesting thing. I want you to see this thing about truth. The last thing that's said before Jesus goes off to be crucified. Jesus Christ is standing before Pontius Pilate here in John chapter 18. I just cut more things here and we'll cut back to it. John chapter 18. Now, of course, we know that Jesus Christ is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And here he's standing before Pilate. And over there in the book of Acts, the Bible says before Pilate, he witnessed a good confession. Right? Pilate knew that man, Jesus, was innocent. And yet he let them crucify him anyways. But here in John chapter 18, notice this. John chapter 18. Maybe this will give you some understanding about the world system that you and I live in. Look at verse 37. 1837, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. You know, this is how I hear he said it. You said it. (laughs) You a king, Jesus? You said it. (laughs) Uh, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. Ain't that something? And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the what? Truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Notice Pilate's response. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? That's the last thing Pilate's recorded to have said after I find no fault in him. What is truth? You know what that tells me? When it comes to worldly leaders, they have no idea what truth is. You see that? Truth was standing right under the nose of Pontius Pilate the very being that created the entire universe, 
And Jesus had just got done saying, he that hear, uh, knows the truth will hear my voice. And Pilate's like, what's truth? What are you even saying? What are you talking about, man? The world doesn't know what truth is. Worldly leaders, politicians don't know what truth is. Well, we're going to do this with health care, and we're going to do this with that. We're going to do this. What is truth? You know what truth is to this world? It's relative. It's whatever they make it. And that's what they're teaching you, and that's what they're teaching your kids, and that's what they're teaching your grandkids, that truth is, truth is not relative. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, both positive and negative. All right, that's truth. <clears throat> and uh, so back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Oh, one more. Can't miss this one. I apologize. Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Last one on truth here. And this is the thing. Most of you already know it. 4 verse 16, Paul is ministering to the Galatians. The Galatians are caught up in Judaism. They're caught up in standards. They're caught up in the law for salvation. You've got to do something to be saved, and you've got to do something to stay saved, which is just a bunch of baloney. And you know what? Paul gives them the truth, and in verse, verse 16, look what he says. Paul looks at the Galatians, and he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The truth is going to garnish you with some enemies. And you know, some Christians are afraid of more than anything else having an enemy. You know what I've learned over the last 10 years? It'll make you live right if you have a couple enemies. It really will. Why? Not everyone's going to like you. I was, a, I was an ice cream salesman, and I had 30,000 customers in my lifetime. And guess what? Not everybody liked me. Well, they liked the ice cream, but they didn't all like me. There was always that handful that when I went on vacation, boy, they said, oh, I don't like him, and he's mouthy, and he's, he talks too much, and he's too fat, and he's this and that. There's always, there's always someone don't like you. But here's Paul saying, look, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They were mad at him. Why? For telling the truth, trying to help them doctrinally, trying to help them spiritually. And if you do the right thing with the truth, I'm going to tell you right now, you will get some enemies. Now listen, that doesn't mean you've got to be like, yeah, i got some enemies. Be like, it's going to happen. Face it, uh, you don't like all of your neighbors. But it's not usually because of the truth. It's just usually because you're stubborn and they're stubborn and you've got personalities that they don't like and they've got personalities that you don't like and you're fighting over an inch of ground. <laughs> but Paul says, I become, therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth and you will get some enemies if you believe the truth, if you hold to the truth, if you try to live and uphold the truth, you'll get some enemies, all right? First Timothy chapter 3, back to this thing about being apt to teach. I wanted to give you that piece on truth because I don't want you to think that you don't have the truth in this world, all right? You can always get your bearings, and that's what Christians struggle with is getting their bearings. And what should I do about this? You can find the answer in the Word of God, Amen. You don't always have to have a preacher, but you always have to have this book. All right? <clears throat> a pastor, a bishop here in verse 2, he must be apt to teach. Now, I believe this is, I'll just speak, uh, you know, my opinion for a second. This is one of the most misqualifications on the list of being a pastor is someone who is apt to teach. And pastors in 2023, and I've heard a carload of them, I don't believe they know how to teach. And I'm not telling you that I'm the only guy. I don't even think I can teach half the time, but I don't think pastors know how to teach. 
And let me say this, according to this text right here, a pastor that doesn't know how to teach the Bible, he is unqualified to be a pastor. He needs to know how to teach that book. A pastor is to be apt to teach. And here's something, a pastor's teaching must be distinctive from his preaching. I'll say it again, a pastor's teaching must be distinctive from his preaching. If the pastor gets up every, every time and it's just this loud, long, lung blast and all he does is preach like a, like a chimney, he's just going to burn everybody up. But a pastor has to be able to preach and he has to be able to teach. That's what the Bible says. And I'm going to tell you a little secret here. You can get more done through teaching than you can through preaching. I'll say that again. A pastor can get much more done. Think about all the scripture we've already covered this morning. In the morning service, it's difficult, isn't it? The bigger crowd gets here, and, you know, if we run 15 passages, you're all just, you know, you're like panning in there, right? But using Sunday school and Sunday evening, you can get much more done teaching than you can preaching. And I'm not saying you don't preach. I'm just saying there's a distinctiveness. And what you can do through teaching is you can really cut and let the Word of God turn loose and do its work. Uh, because, listen, I might be, have some notes here, and I might be saying some things, but as you're reading that text, that Holy Spirit's going in, and He's discerning your thoughts, He's discerning the intents of your hearts, and He's ministering to you because He's the real teacher. I'm just a messenger. And you can run reference and reference and spiritual things upon spiritual things, line upon line, here a little and there a little, and you can take the Word of God as a pastor, and you can let that book just cut everyone to pieces, amen? And you can, now let me give you a couple reasons here, we're just about done, <clears throat> a couple reasons why a pastor should teach, why a pastor should, there should be no reason, can I just be plain spoken, you should, we should not have stupid congregations in America, a pastor should teach, and isn't it true if you do not go to school, you will be ignorant? Regardless of what you think of the education system, you've got to learn to read and write. You're going to be ignorant. All right, look at Proverbs chapter 9. I'll give you a couple of reasons here why a pastor should teach. A pastor should teach. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. Qualification of an ideal pastor, a pastor should be apt to teach. He should be given the ability by God, and he should be sharpening that ability. He should be trying to get better at his teaching. He should be trying to be getting better information, the ability to disseminate that information better, whether it's illustrations, whether it's alliterations, or however that thing goes. But he should be apt to teach. Look at Proverbs 9.9. The Bible says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. All right, so here's a reason. reason a pastor is supposed to teach, because a wise man will get wiser, and a just man will increase learning. You see that? That's why you're supposed to teach. Why? Because you can build on it. If you're wise, you'll get wiser. If you're smart, you'll get smarter. You see that? I look at 2 Chronicles 15. I'll give you another reason. 2 Chronicles 15. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 15, 3, <clears throat> Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. All right, that's back there in the Old Testament there, and I'm going to give you that illustration here. 
But uh, a reason a pastor should teach, and I hate to say it, is because many churches are without the true God and without a teaching priest. A lot of people get up in the church and, Beloved, we are gathered here together today. You know, wop, 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 wop. You know, and you go out just like, Okay, let's go to the buffet, you know. And what'd you learn? Nothing. One fellow went into church one time, and the priest was standing at the back. He said, what do you think, Junior? He says, I don't know. He said, I think I left worse than I came. <laughs> a lot of churches are like that. No teaching. Not only do they not have the true God, but they go out worse than they I sure hope you don't go out worse than you came. That's why sometimes I overload you. Why? I'm hoping to throw enough stuff, something's going to stick. <clears throat> And that's why a pastor should teach. Look at Ephesians 4.11. Two references and we're done. I know we've been just kind of kicking it in overdrive here. But that kind of proves the point we're trying to get across. Ephesians chapter 4. Most of you know this passage here. Now here, uh, uh, when Christ died, the gifts were given to the body of Christ. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And the very last thing he gave to the body of Christ and some pastors and teachers, that's one item. So that preacher, that pastor of a church, he's to be a pastor and a teacher. He's to preach and to teach. And you know what he's called? <laughs> he's called a gift. Not because he's gifted, because God gave that man to the flock. Why? To feed him. Now look at this, Hosea 4, 6, and we're done. I've said for years that people don't want, uh, that people still want the truth. And that's a partial, that's a partial, that's partially correct. I'm going to show you what was wrong with Israel. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. I believe a number of Christians still want the truth today, but I also believe a number of Christians don't want the truth today. I believe it's a mixed bag of tricks. But here in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord speaking uh, through his prophet Hosea here, and you know what destroyed the nation of Israel? <clears throat> Bible says here in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed... Because they didn't have enough cable TVs. <laughs> no. My people are destroyed because they didn't make enough money. No, it's not what he said. Uh, my people are destroyed because of international relations with China. No, he didn't say that either. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, notice the colon right after that. He says, because thou hast rejected knowledge. Now look, a pastor is supposed to be apt to teach, and we'll close it down here. But if a pastor is supposed to be apt to teach, then the people of God, the flock that goes to this church, have to be willing to receive it. You see that? They have to be willing to receive it. And can I just tell you, by way of the latency in church period that you and I live in, a lot of teaching goes out in churches, but a lot of the people of God reject what goes out. You say, why do they reject it? I don't know, the same reason preaching gets rejected. The same reason your prayer life gets neglected. The same reason Bible reading gets neglected. And he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. Ain't that something? You know, it's like a Martha and Mary mentality. I know we're done here. Uh, but it's a Martha and Mary mentality in the church house. <clears throat> Some churches, they're all Martha. They want to serve. They want to serve. And I hope you want to serve God too. But you know, when Jesus Christ shows up there in Luke chapter 10, you know what the first thing he says to Martha? Thou art cumbered and troubled about many things. You know why? Because she was all about service, 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 service. And when you make it all about serving, then you get trouble. Then you get cumbered about. Then all of a sudden you got the wrong burden. 
And there's one thing that Mary did. She came in, she came into church, quote unquote, and she sat down, didn't she? And the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, Mary heard his word. And two verses later, the Lord says, Mary hath chosen this needful thing. You know it's a needful thing? To hear the word. You know it's a qualification of a pastor to have that aptitude and ability to teach and preach the word so the people of God can hear it. And we'll stop right there on apt to teach.